We need to talk about investing. A beginner investor podcast from Charles Stanley. Thank you so much for being here for this episode of We Need to Talk About Investing. My name is Erica White, and today I'm joined by my lovely and very knowledgeable colleagues. We've got finance pros Rob Morgan, CSD's chief analyst, alongside Lisa Kaplan, director of One Step Financial Planning, to answer some hugely important questions about investing through different decades of life. Hi, Rob and Lisa. How are you guys? Hi, Erica. Hi. Very good. Thank you. So now it's no secret that as we age, our lifestyles, priorities, and obligations shift. It certainly doesn't happen at the same pace for everyone, but it is true nonetheless. Things do change as time goes on. So with this in mind, we're going to be talking to our lovely professionals about the key things to keep in mind through various decades. So 30s are an interesting decade. And I don't know if that's just because I'm in this decade right now. I'm currently 32 years old, but I do feel like half of my friends and lives and priorities and choices make them feel closer to 40 or 50. And then the other half of my friends feel like they're still very much in their early 20s. Um, regardless, 30s are the time for building lasting wealth to meet, to meet life's growing demands. So maybe that means increasing pressure and seniority in the workforce. Maybe that means expanding your family. Maybe it means buying a home, et cetera, et cetera. Um, questions for you too. So there's going to be a lot of overlap here for 20s for some people as many people's lives do develop differently. But what are the changes typically for this decade? So like what type of financial priorities do people have in their 30s? Who wants to take that? I see 30s as when you really need to dig in. Mm -hmm. uh, you're getting more established in your career. You're starting to earn better money, hopefully. It's often the decade where a lot of people are deciding to buy a house mm -hmm. and start families. Um, so it can be a time of competing priorities. There are endless demands on your time and your money, and you have to make decisions. Competing priorities, it can be it can be quite difficult, and you need to dig in. Yeah, it's definitely the decade of kind of when responsibility starts hitting. I think for a lot of people, yeah, and whether that's yeah family or whether you know you're taking a first step on the property ladder, yeah, and yeah, suddenly that hits home. And, but there's also like loads of opportunities as well. So hopefully you kind of being paid a bit more money. So, you know, you've, you, you've got that bit more to spend, yeah. but unfortunately that, you know, that's going out the door as well. You know, certainly if you're starting to, to, to have a family as well. So really, really difficult because you've got to balance both those sides of the equation. You know, what's coming in, you might feel a bit richer, but also, Poorer at the same Poorer time. Poorer yeah. at the same time. And, and especially at the moment with the cost of living challenges that we're, we're all seeing because that's you know, compounding the situation and the, and the choices that people have got to, got to make. Absolutely. So taking on debt, for example, taking on a mortgage is something that may be happening in this phase of life. So what are some things that we need to know about debt, generally speaking, and how important is it to have a strategy to tackle that? What do we need to know about debt? So firstly, you know, pay down debt that's costing you a lot of money. So, you know, typically, you know, unsecured loans, buy now, buy now, pay later type type debt is going to have high interest rates, credit card debt and, and those sorts of debts you need to try and stamp on. High interest rates are that's double digit interest. Yeah. I mean, it, it, certainly anything over double digits yeah. would be considered high. And, you know, there's good debt and bad debt. and you know, that definitely falls into the bad debt category with, with what we call good debt would be something that advances your financial position 
um, like a mortgage where you can borrow relatively cheaply in the grand scheme of things and you use not right now <laughs> debatable right now yeah. with interest rates obviously going up um but you know compared to other forms of, of debt then it's it's um it's it's a it's a cheap way and it's a necessary evil because you've got to, to live somewhere and um you know whether you're renting or or buying um so those um those more expensive debts are definitely definitely need to be uh, to, to be got rid of before you start sort of doing anything else really um and that's uh, uh and that then can set you up and build the foundations elsewhere how important do you think it is lisa um to have a strategy to be tackling your finances or also ta- tackling debt etc especially in your 30s i think it's a really good idea um and that's put you in a really good position i think in your 30s it's possibly still too young to be being a picture of retirement, but there's still things that you can be doing. Like, it's difficult. You've got it's got to be affordable. You've got to have the money to do things. But it's a good idea just to what is your you know lifestyle creep. You know, is is your spare money going on your lifestyle? Lifestyle well, creep is a, is something that I'm quite guilty of. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> you I mean you're working hard. You're earning well. You, you want feel to like you want to reward yourself. But put, I would say, be strategic and, and think, well, what's the best use of this money? As, as we were talking about, paying down debt, your mortgage, um, saving for the future. Mm-hmm. And you just don't get into expensive habits because that you, your lifestyle hasn't crept up. Totally. So what's the trade-off between investing and doing something like, for example, paying down your mortgage in your 30s? And you want yeah. to tackle that. So, I mean, that's an age-old um, dilemma for lots of people because, you know, one thing's for sure on your mortgage, you're going to be paying more interest on it and you're paying more back. You know, the 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 larger your mortgage is and the longer you have it, you know, that's that's just the, the, the maths of the situation. But um, the, if you're not doing that and you're investing instead, you have to take the view that your investment return is going to be better broadly speaking, is going to be better than the interest rate on your on your debt. So it's one thing if the hurdle is quite low, so two or three percent, which we, you know, we have got used to for certain um, mortgages uh, in the fairly recent past. Um, it's it's different when it's sort of at sort of six, seven percent. So, you know, it's a much harder, uh, much harder uh, dilemma. So so both can work well. I mean, some people will invest to, you know, in 20, 30, 40 years time to help pay off their mortgage. And, you know, they'll endure the volatility and the ups and downs of the stock market along the way to to, to try and do that. But um, it tends to be a lower risk thing to do to actually pay back um, uh, some, some of the mortgage. Um, but, you know, that said, if you're compounding returns and compounding your investment returns, that can that can work really well in the fullness of time. So, yeah, I'm going to sit on the fence with that one. And it really comes down to kind of your personal feelings, the amount of risk that you're you're comfortable with. And certainly if you do pay back a bit of your mortgage and you've got more um, disposable income as a result and you can save more and you can invest more that way, then, you know, perhaps that's a bit of a happy medium. 30s is the time for some people to be starting a family. That's the direction that they choose to go. Um, what changes financially when you start a family? I don't know, Lisa, if you want to take that. Um, 
there are many things to consider. Um, now, a bit later and a bit later. So the thing that's going to happen now is usually one of the parents is going to take some time off work to look after the child, certainly in the early years, and there's going to be childcare costs if they don't, yeah. which can really, you know, add up, add up and it, it, it's, it's expensive. Um, and then sort of l later on, um, you've got to think, do you want to pay towards your, your children's education? People I speak to are particularly interested in helping pay for university education, yeah. particularly if they've had the advantage of not paying for their own and they want to pass that on to their to their children as well. A lot of, um, I was going to say family planning, it's, it's what I mean is sort of in between parents and children and grandparents working out who's paying for what's going on. Often I see that. Um, one thing that I've noticed, I have some friends that are starting families uh, now that were in our 30s. I did not realize how expensive childcare is. Oh yeah. I did not realize how expensive daycare is. For a lot of people, it's like the same. That's the same as they get at their jobs. They're just giving it to a nursery, and that's definitely something um, that I think would be a shock for a lot of new parents is the sheer cost of just keeping your kid safe during the day. It's you know you want the best for your children. You want them to be in a good environment, um, and you know childcare can really be that for sure. Um, sort of financially alone, it can work out if you return to work and you put your child in daycare. Yeah, that would be fine. You still end up with some change, but often when you have your second child and you're paying for two lots of daycare, it just makes no financial sense. But you've got to think, okay, this is my career. I want to keep it going. So I'm, I'll take this for a few years. And then when they go to school, it'll all be better. Mm -hmm. So I think situations are definitely different uh, from person to person. The other thing that you need to think about as you take on sort of responsibility through a mortgage or through a family is what would happen to your loved ones, your, your partner or your children, if something were to happen to you and you were unable to work? Many employers will give life cover or some sort of income cover, but it's something to pay attention to. It's not sexy, but it is important. One thing um, that I think starts to be on people's minds in their 30s is retirements and pensions. Uh, what do we need to potentially be considering there at this stage? By the time you're in your 30s, perhaps you've had a few jobs already. You may have left behind your trail of little pension pots, particularly now with auto-enrollment where your employer has to pay into a pension and you have to pay into a pension, um, which is great. I think auto-enrollment is fantastic, but what that does mean is if you change jobs, you'll leave a trail of little, little pots everywhere, pots, right? Yeah, which can just be a bit messy and you might want to think, do I want to put them together? You don't have to, um, but I, that can uh, make sense. And also just it's one of those financial priorities. How much can I afford to put away in my pension? Because certainly if you're a higher rate taxpayer, the tax relief is very attractive. Yeah, I'll just add to that. In terms of, it, hopefully you've already started in your 20s, but by the time you get to your 30s, you, you certainly should have started. Um, and the good thing is that, you know, if you get a salary increase, then that's going to be reflected in your contributions. Well, it will if you're in a workplace pension, so you'll get a higher uh, contribution from your from your employer uh, and you might be getting more tax relief as well certainly if you're going into the, the, 
to, to, to paying higher rates out. So just keep going on that front and make sure you um, yeah you maximize that, that tax relief if you can. So just for people that are not totally aware, pension contribution from your employer, that's essentially free money, correct? Yes, yes. I mean, who wouldn't want that? But I wonder just, not everybody benefits from auto-enrollment mm-hmm. and the self-employed have to take this on themselves. Um, and I would really encourage people who aren't benefiting from an employer contribution, mm-hmm. uh, an automatic pension, they kind of need to be more active about it and decide what they're going to do themselves. Because future future them will yes. thank them big time if they are on top of that, especially at this point in their careers, right? Incredible as it may seem when you're in your 30s, one day you won't want to work anymore. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I already you, don't you're want to work live. now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> so consolidating pensions as a top has been a real topic of conversation for my friends and I, um, especially many of us who have moved to London internationally and we've had jobs in various countries all over the world. Can you talk a little bit more about pension consolidation and how that works? What do you have to do to find all your pensions? What you, what you would, st- I would start with contacting my old employers mm-hmm. and just asking them who the pension administrators were, what are the contact details, and then you just write off to them and say, I was employed at such and such company from this year to this year. Where's my pension? Where's my pension? Your national insurance number is really helpful because that's often how people track you. And um, there's a government website on gov.uk which you can put in where you were employed and it'll tell you which pension scheme to contact, which can be quite useful as well. Oh, that is a fabulously useful tool. Yeah. Um, Okay, next question here. There can be tons of competing priorities in your 30s. I think you're pulled in tons of different directions. How do you organize and deal with the push-pull tug-of-war that comes with being at this phase of life, especially when it comes to your finances? It's really difficult. Um, like you say, lots of different things going on and, and changing situations as well and, and phases that you're moving through. Um, so the way I would try and think about it is through through goals. So if you've got nearer term goals uh, and goals that are further away, you need a different strategy for dealing and uh, and meeting those those goals. So, you know, in really simple terms, if anything's less than five years, so what we would call in in the financial industry short term, um, you would generally use cash. You know, if you're saving for a house deposit or a car or something of that nature that you're going to be spending the money on in the not too distant future, then stick to cash because otherwise, if you invest that money, you know, over a long period of time, you can expect a decent return, but in the short term, anything could happen and unfortunately you might be a, a victim of when the markets are sometimes volatile mm-hmm. so that's why you you stick to uh cash for the for the short term and, and the good thing about cash at the moment is that there is at last some interest paid on it so shop around search around for the best cash account that you can find that suits your circumstances so you know different pots of money if you are you know starting um to think about your kids education um and and any costs surrounding that then think about junior isa so you know what your goal is will also dictate how you invest the type of product that you've got so you've got junior isas for children there's a nice tax-free account Mm -hmm. that parents and and friends and family can contribute to as well Um, and your own shorter term 
um, savings could be in a cash account or, or an, a cash ISA. And for those sort of uh, longer term investments, then you're looking at ISAs and, and pensions, of course, for, for retirement. Can I just say, I've um, learning about JISAs and the benefits of JISAs has been so, so interesting to me. And the fact that, uh, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you need a parent to open it for the child, but then any grand, grandma, grandpa, loved one can be putting money in to that account. And so that's a fabulous way to be helping grow a pot of money for a yeah, child absolutely. and to be having them benefit from the magic of compound returns and having a very long time frame ahead of them, right? This sounds really mean, but you could say to kind auntie, rather than giving me the big, enormous yellow plastic truck, yeah. which is going to go to landfill, yeah. put some money into my JISA, my child's JISA. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And then that, um, that money becomes theirs at age 18, and then it can be spent on you know, whatever they need at that point, uh, or it can be carried, uh, carried on, uh, in a, in an adult ISA. That's what happens when it, when the child reaches, reaches 18 and then it can just carry on and you can start uh, building a really, really decent sized pot. And I mean, it, 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 they have complete control. They can do anything they like with it when they're 18. So you've got to get, get the education in, but it's a good tool to teach them about finances as well, that they'll take forward in their lives as Good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Lisa, Rob, thank you both so much for all your expertise here today. And thank you to each and every one of you for listening. If you're keen to learn more about personal finance or investing more generally, join us for one of our free webinars, download our guides, watch our video content, or have a free 15 minute chat with one of our experts. The road to financial freedom starts with one simple step and the journey is about more than just money. Thanks so much again, you guys. Bye-bye. We need to talk about investing, a beginner investor podcast from Charles Stanley. The value of investments can fall as well as rise. Investors may get back less than invested. Past performance is not a reliable guide to the future.